Lord God, Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our chief cornerstone. And though we often don't rejoice in the news that he brings, for it is a rock that crushes us, let us always turn to him in faith, knowing that he is our Savior, the one who delivers us from all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. And let us trust in him for salvation in all things and every day. So we ask you now to be with us, Lord, as we study your word. May these words of John point us once again to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might trust in him, that we might believe in him, and by, by believing, we might have life in his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we are in John 1. Now, John 1, beginning at verse 19, begins the story of John the Baptist, right? John the baptizing John, who comes as a witness to the light. And so 119 through 35-ish, 36, is really the story about John the baptizer, the baptizing John guy, being a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, to the light who has come. And so John is establishing that there are voices in this world that will tell you the truth about Jesus, and there are voices in this world that will tell you lies about Jesus. How do you know which ones to believe? Because what you believe about Jesus determines where you spend eternity. Right? What you believe about Jesus determines whether you live or you die. That's it. Now here's the first question. Do you believe that? That what every single person in this world believes about Jesus is the determining factor about whether they live or die. That is the teaching of the New Testament. That every single individual's eternity hinges upon believing who Jesus is and what he has done. Right? Okay? So, so that, that is so important then that we better make sure we are believing the right thing about Jesus so that we can live. Yeah? Because I don't know if you've met God, but he, he has rules. And he does not like it when you break his rules. And if he says... That, that this is who Jesus is, and you think, no, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is somebody else. Well, guess who wins that fight? Not you. So what we want to do is we want to learn who does God think Jesus is? Right? And John, is, John the author of the gospel, is telling us that this John who came baptizing is somebody who tells us the truth about Jesus. Okay, so this is one faithful witness that you can trust. We're going to keep finding other faithful witnesses that we can trust as we go. We're also going to find witnesses that are not faithful that we don't want to listen to. Okay? So John the baptizing John is the guy who's one of the guys that you can believe when he tells you about Jesus. So I've got a question, but it's... Yes. Okay. So there's... So are there several hundred years between the Old Testament and then where we're at now? About 300 or 400-ish. So have we had prophets all along between those 300 years? Yeah. Or is John kind of like the first one that... Yeah. So 
That's a very good question. Were there prophets between... So Malachi, the Italian prophet, right? He's the, he's the guy who wrote the last Old Testament book. Malachi is actually not just, just in the canon the last of the Old Testament books, but actually is chronologically probably the last of the Old Testament books as well. And that brings us somewhere around 350 BC. So we have, you know, basically 350 years. I mean, these are all round numbers, but they're easy to remember in your head. So we have around 350 years between the writing of the Old Testament and the coming of the Christ. So were there other prophets? And the answer is yes. There were lots of people who taught the truth about the coming Messiah. But there was nothing written by these people, right? We have no authoritative canonical scriptures written in that time. Um, in that time, you do have the books, some of the books of the Apocrypha written, or at least that's, what, that's the time period they're about. But we have nothing authoritative. So there are teachers, there are rabbis who teach in that time, but there are no kind of official prophets of Yahweh that are speaking, okay? Because they're not, they're not given to us in canonical scripture. So there were people who were continuing to teach this truth, but they aren't on the level of an official prophet of Yahweh and canonical scriptures. Does that make sense? Kind of, and I don't want to offend anybody, but kind of like after the New Testament is done being written, no one has since then spoken with the authority of the apostles. Right? We don't have any inspired canonical text written after the book of Revelation. So it's been, you know, 1900 years since anyone wrote inspired scripture. But, but there have been many faithful teachers along the way. And there's been many false teachers along the way. So we still have the same question today. How do you know who to believe when they teach you about Jesus? How do you know? Right, they confess Jesus as Lord, but, but a lot of people do, and then they diverge from there. So how do you know? And this is what John is getting us to understand. This is part of the, of the, of the goal of the Gospel of John, is to help us know what to believe about Jesus and to check all of our teachings from there. Okay? Did you get to 1 John? No, you didn't. You didn't get to 3 and 4, did you? Okay, so First John. Well, let's just let's just quickly go. Just I'll show you how this kind of works. Remember, First John and John are written kind of by the same dude. So you get you get a lot of cross thoughts in these two books. Let's go to the end of First John three. Okay, First John, you guys got a nice nice introduction there, one and two, I'm sure. And um, so First John three twenty four. This is an important verse, but, but I don't worry about the verse so much. It's just, it's an introductory idea. I'll show you how it works. Okay, so 1 John, so that's way towards the end of the New Testament, right? 1 John three twenty four. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit. This is the first time the Holy Spirit is explicitly mentioned in the entire book of 1 John. So we've gotten through three whole chapters with no mention of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's just the way John does stuff. Tom, sorry. You know, take it up with John. That's by the Spirit. That's by the Spirit. That's, that's actually right. That's designed by the Spirit. Okay? But now that John has mentioned the Spirit, he's going to freak out about the Spirit. He's going to keep talking about him. So look at chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every 
Spirit. See, it's not that there's just one spirit in the world, so we're all good to go. No, there are good spirits and there are bad spirits. And there are good spirits that aren't the Holy Spirit. And there are, there's only one Holy Spirit, right? And the spirits that are not in line with the Holy Spirit are bad spirits. And the spirits that are in line with the Holy Spirit are good spirits. But how do you know? That's the point. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false... Oh, what? See, he doesn't say false spirits. What does he say? False prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So what John is teaching us is you you know the spirit by the guy who's teaching. And if the guy who's teaching you is teaching you that Jesus is the Christ and has come in the flesh, then he is speaking by the spirit of God. And if he teaches you something else, he's teaching from a different spirit. And he is a false prophet. Okay? So, this is the point that John's getting us to understand, is that those who teach you the truth about Jesus are speaking by the Holy Spirit. Those who don't teach you the truth about Jesus are speaking from a false spirit. Don't trust them. So, this is the measure of good theology. Is it about Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose to forgive your sins? If it is, we're on the right path. If it's something else, it's a false teaching, and it's not by the Holy Spirit. So you got a religion that says, well, Jesus is a really good prophet, and he taught us good things about God, but let's not call him God. And his death was certainly an example of God's love for the world, and it certainly was a wonderful thing, but let's not, let's not say it's the measure of, of you and God in relationship. Well, what do we say about that? We say, no, 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 whoa, whoa, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking. That's a different spirit. And you don't believe that teaching to teach you the truth about Jesus and therefore God. So Islam is not of the same spirit as Christianity. See how it works? Okay, so, so John, does that kind of help? So, so there are prophets that come along, they're not inspired canonical scriptures, but we, we can check their teaching as we go along and say, well, does that agree with what the scriptures teach us? Does that agree with what, who Jesus is? And so there are rabbis that have come along, there are prophets that have come along, there are reformers that have come along, there are, right? But even when you get to the Reformation, don't, don't, don't forget this, even when it comes to the Reformation, there are a bunch of reformers that we don't agree with. There are some, some crazy group of people right now sitting, co- eating, drinking coffee and eating donuts talking about Calvin as though he was right. And they think we're nuts. Right? Okay, so now, now when you get into it, it's not just, it's just not, well, okay, he was right, so every single thing he said was right. No, 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 we still check every single teaching by the scriptures. You read something, you go, okay, that's interesting, that's a weird thought, I never thought of that before. Does the Bible actually teach that, or are you teaching something different? 
and you've got to go back and you've got to keep examining the scriptures. Is this what God has said? Or are you making stuff up? Okay? Does that make sense? I don't know why we don't ever get through with lots of questions. Sorry. No, it's not your fault. That was my so fault. Were the people totally. looking for Jesus at the summer, or were they were looking for the prophet? They were looking for. Okay, good. So, who were the pe- who were the people looking for to come? They were looking for the Messiah. Okay, they were looking for the Messiah. This was this was very established in rabbinic teaching. This is very established from reading the Old Testament. Is that God is going to send Messiah to save His people? But remember, this is simply the word for anointed guy. So he's the anointed one. And the primary way that anointed is used in the Old Testament in, the, in terms of the nation of Israel is as king. So they are looking for a king to come to set them free. Because remember the story of the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament, I mean, you got that whole Genesis thing, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's kind of establishing Israel. But then once we, get, once we get cooking, right? The story of the Old Testament goes like this. Israel is enslaved. Okay? And they are set free. Who sets them free? Yahweh sets them free through Moses. And they, they wander around and whatever stuff. <laughs> Going to the promised land and they mess that all up. And then they're not really solidified as a nation until David. Once David is on the throne... Life is good. We've got the borders of Israel established. We're defeating all of our enemies. God is our king because our king is a man after God's own heart, except for the whole murder and adultery thing. And we are good, right? The temple is, is going to be established by his son Solomon. We've got the sacrificial system running. We're all going to Jerusalem for all the festivals. Life is good to be a Jew. Our football team is winning, right? Life is good. So, so they're all thinking that King David who is the anointed one, that's what he's called, they're looking for a new King David because now they're enslaved again under the Roman people. And what they're seeing is that this enslavery to the Roman people is actually an extension of the slavery that happened in the Old Testament to Assyria and to Judah in 722 B.C. and in 586 B.C., they were, they were both exiled, right? Both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were exiled. And that really never ended. I mean, they went back, but they never got like this huge restoration of Israel and life is good, reestablishing the temple, all kind of stuff. It just did never really happen. It kind of happened little bits here and there. There's a new temple, but it's not quite the same as Solomon's temple. And all that. So they're thinking... The, the, the popular thinking is that the Messiah will come as the new King David and he will establish his throne in Jerusalem and get rid of any foreign power. That's what they're thinking. Now, there are lots of different ways this is going to happen. Some think it's more of a spiritual thing. Some think it's more of a physical thing. Some think it's political. Some think it's economic, right? Some people want to build a wall to keep out Mexico. It's all weird stuff. Okay? But they're thinking it's somehow a king coming to sit upon his throne. Because Yahweh 
is going to set his people free from being enslaved. And how is he going to do it? Through his anointed one. That's what they're thinking. So when Jesus comes and says, I'm the Messiah, they're like, prove it. Right? Prove it. He's like, okay, I'll die. They're like, no, that, that, no. That's not what Messiah does. Messiah does not die. Messiah kills. Gets rid of all his enemies. And he's like, that's what I'm doing. And they're like, uh-uh. So who's, a whole, who's the only one who gets it in the Bible? Pilate. Puts a sign right over Jesus' head that says, this is king of the Jews. And the Pharisees are, and the, the Sadducees and Pharisees are like, don't, don't put this is the king of the Jews, but he claimed to be the king of the Jews. See, so what they're saying is, when they say that, they're saying when he claimed to be Messiah, he claimed to be this anointed king. And they're all disappointed because he isn't, right? Because a crucified Messiah is a failed Messiah. So that, that's part of the whole misunderstanding that's going on in the New Testament where Jesus is saying, ah, oh, yeah, but, oh, Right? So Pilate even says this. Pilate says, so I've been hearing these rumors that you're going to be this, this king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay? And at his birth, this is a big deal of his birth, is that he's, he's born king of the Jews. And Herod is like, you're my rival? I will kill you. Because that's what kings do. They kill their rivals so they can stay king. Okay? So that's what's going on. All right. Number one. Yeah, no, that's cool. Does that make sense? Does that help? There's a lot more to this. There are books and books and books. Um, so John 1, let's read, let's read 35 through 42. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. So, who was a better? We did the first couple of questions in this section already, talking talking about these things. So we'll go on down and pretend you know all that. So, number one, who is a better teacher than John? Jesus. Jesus. Now, I want to. We went over this just a little bit last time. I want to show you this again. So, rabbi. When they say rabbi, that literally means the guy who teaches. So it's just the word for teacher, right? That's the word for teacher. So he says, so he goes to Jesus and he says, teacher. Now, keep that in mind. Go to John chapter 3. I just want to show you this. I, this, is, this is just the way John writes, and you got to get used to it, okay? So John chapter 3. <clears throat> what happens in John 3? Nicodemus. Extremely good. Good job. So you know, you know your gospel. That's great. So in John chapter 3, you got Nicodemus, and then we got the football verse, right? John 3.16, which I believe is Max's confirmation Max. verse. I didn't know that. Very nice. 
coconut. I might have cheated. Yeah. Um, I was just so happy to see three verses from the Gospel of John up there. I'm so proud. I mean, really, John 3.16, John 1.14, and John 16.33. I was like, those are good verses. I'm so happy. Okay, so, um, but here's the thing. There's this conversation between Nicodemus. So, so you'll notice in John 1, John keeps translating these words for us, right? Rabbi, which means teacher. Messiah, which means Christ. Peter, or Cephas, which is rock, or Peter. So he keeps translating. Well, he doesn't always do this in his gospel. But, but it, it makes us stop whenever we see names to stop and try to figure out what they mean. Well, Nicodemus means... The people's champion, or the conqueror for the people. Okay, so so um, you guys know what this is, right? Uh, it's from the Greek word nike, which means to conquer, to win. Okay, so Demas means people, basically. So Nicodemus is the conqueror of the people, so the people's champion, right? That that's what his name means. And he is one of the most prominent of the Pharisees. Now, here's what I'm going to show you. So Jesus is talking to them, and they're hanging out. And so this, this conqueror of the people, the man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. See, it says that right there in, in verse 1. He comes to Jesus by night. What happens at night? Bad stuff. Bad, evil things happen at night. So he comes to Jesus at night. So he, Nicodemus has no idea what he's doing. He's evil. He's bad because he's a ruler of the Pharisees. And, but, but look what he says here. So he's, he's doing all these things. Look at verse 10. So Nicodemus says to Jesus, well, how can these things be? He doesn't get it. And Jesus answered and said, are you, and, and this is where it would be nice if you could, could um, modify your scriptures, but don't do that. If you have a pencil, you could do this. You could actually capitalize teacher because this there's evidence that what Jesus calls him here is actually a technical title. Are you the teacher of Israel? Meaning you're the authority. Right? You are the teacher of Israel and yet you don't know these things. So what is what is the author of the of the gospels telling you? Should you listen to the Pharisees? No. No, the one who's going to teach the Pharisees is here. His name is Jesus. Listen to him. Don't listen to Pharisees. Don't listen to the ruler of the Jews. Don't listen to the teacher of Israel. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Because they don't get it. Right? That's what Jesus says. You are the teacher of Israel and you don't get it? Okay, so, so we have this teaching thread here. We have it in John 1, we have it in John 3. Now, go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. This is what happens in John 20 as you're turning there. What happens? He dies in 19. I'll give you a clue. What happens in 20? Yeah, it's the resurrection chapter, okay? So John chapter 20, we got the resurrection chapter, but this is not like any other resurrection chapter because John gets it right. Actually, it just adds to the other gospels, right? So we get this, this kind of 
we get this this view of Mary in the in the garden. Okay? And what I want you to look at, it starts in verse 11, but what I really want you to look at is verse 16. So, so Mary's in the garden. She's, she's, the tomb is empty. That's all she knows at this point. The tomb is empty. They, she thinks someone took the body, okay? Which isn't weird, by the way. Don't think this is kind of nefarious. This is fine. They did this a lot. They would take bodies out of tombs to entomb them somewhere else. They'd let them lay there for a couple days or people could come and see them, a public viewing. And then they'd move them out of the tomb into some lesser tomb and keep the nice tomb open for the next dead dude. Okay? So, go ahead. Would they actually leave the tomb open? Yeah. And let people come see them? Just like a regular viewing? Yeah. Okay. No embalming or anything? Yeah, they'd embalm. So they didn't stink too bad. That's why in John chapter 11, when Jesus shows up, they're like, you, you missed the window of opportunity. By now, he stinks. Because he's like, let me see where Lazarus is. And they're like, you don't want to go in there. He stinks by now. If you would have come a couple days earlier, fine, just come on in. He smells like myrrh and aloe and spices. Right. That's no big deal. But now, I mean, I, that can't even cover the stench. It's awful. And so, so they would do this regularly. So, so Mary's under the impression that, that, that this, the, the person in charge of the tombs have came a little early, right? They're like, he's only been dead two days. Come on, give us a break. So they're, they're like going, you, you took him a little er- too soon. Where have you laid him? I will go take care of him and bring him back so we can all look at him and, you know, whatever. And that's what Mary's under the impression this has happened. So, so this guy walks up behind her and she's like, oh, you're the gardener. Which is true, by the way, just not the way she thinks. And, and he goes, what are you looking for, right? So, Rowan, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing the gardener, look, we're in verse 15. Mary says, Sir, if you carry away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi. Okay, so we have the Hebrew version in, in chapter 1. We have the Aramaic version in chapter 20. So what this means is this gospel is framed by this word rabbi. Who is the rabbi? Jesus. Listen to him. Of all the people teaching, the voice of Jesus is the most important voice. When he speaks, listen. And what you're going to learn is not only are his words authoritative from an intellectual point of view that you learn things, they will actually do things that no one else's words can do. This is the one who can stand at a tomb and say, come forth. And guess what happens? He comes. Why? Because I and the Father, we are one. This is not the voice of some man. This is the voice of God. Listen to him. Okay? So this is the teacher. Does that make sense? All right. So going back to chapter one. So how are we to be like the first disciples? Susan. All right. And do what? What do, we, what do we do with them? We get other followers. Good. How do, what do we do with them? And say, come and see. See, are you supposed to convince people to be Christians? 
Are you supposed to convince them of the truth of God? No. Whose job is that? The spirits. So what do you do? You invite them to come and see. Come and see. Right? Come and see. Come into the Word and meet Jesus. Come meet Him in His Word. Come meet Him in His people. Come meet Him. Come and see. You, you witness the truth about Jesus. You tell people who He is and they say, I don't know if I believe it. You say, come and see. Let's look. Let's look together. I don't believe it. Well, let's look and see what it says. Let's look and see what the scriptures say. Let's look and see what the church is, right? Let's look and see at the sacraments. Let's, let's look and see where Jesus is. It is not your job to convince people that you're right. Believe it or not, it's not your job to convince people you're right. It's your job to witness to the faith that God has given to you by his spirit. And let God do the work of God's stuff, like converting sinners to be believers. It's God's job. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, the cool thing is, having said all that, it's not your job, what'd they do? They went and found people they cared about and told them. So you might want to try that. Go find someone you care about and tell them. Tell them. Don't talk about the cardinals and why no one's hitting. Go tell them about Jesus. It is actually more important. Does it make sense? And I don't know why the cardinals aren't hitting. It's, it's driving me nuts, but oh well. What are you going to do? Okay, any questions on that? Any thoughts or consternations? We okay? Having fun? Life good? Okay, it's spring. You know, it feels good outside. All right, so let's read 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, a city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anyone, anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you very much. All right, cool. A uh, story you guys probably know in some ways from Sunday school and stuff. We read it in church usually too. Okay, so number three. What is Jesus' command? Follow me. Follow me. Now, and, and I, I, we're not in Sunday school with, with flannel, flannel graph Jesus and, and sheeps. But I, this is an important thing for you guys to remember. 
Where does Jesus go? To the cross. So you're supposed to do what? Follow him. Which means you are going to the cross. Where else does he go? He goes to hell, but not in the Gospel of John. <laughs> Doesn't go to the right hand of God in John. Gospel he ends, he's still on earth. Yeah, he goes to the sinners on his way to the cross and says, why don't you come too? Where does he go after the cross? He goes to the tomb. And where does he go after that? Out of the tomb. He does not ascend to the Father in the Gospel of John. He talks about, I'm going to, but he doesn't do it yet. So, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to follow Jesus. Now, that means you're going to die. It also means that you are going to rise. Okay? And that's the reality of Christianity. This is not follow me and we're going to go right to my Father's kingdom where there's lots of feasting and happiness and everything's wonderful and you're going to be rich and you're going to have any stress in your life because you follow me, your footsteps in the sand, those are the ones where I carried you. And you say, well, I think you dropped me because <laughs> my life stinks. <coughs> And he said, what about death? Did you not understand? Right? So remember, when, when you follow Jesus, you're getting there. That's the goal. What happens at the cross? Our sins were paid for. Your sins are killed. What else is killed? Okay, the bodies that are corrupted by sins are killed. What else is killed? Death itself. death itself is killed. What else is killed? You guys are Lutheran, aren't you? Sin, death, power of the devil. Okay, so we want a king who's going to set us free from our enemy. Our enemies of sin, death, power of the devil. Does he do it? Yes, behold your king. And you will rise one day and you will be completely free of sin, death, power of the devil. And you will live forever and ever and ever with your king. Free forever of sin, death, and the power of the devil. Yeah? So here's my suggestion, humble suggestion. Why don't you try living that way now? Why don't you set yourself free from sin, death, power of the devil? Stop sinning! It's hurting you. You're set free from that. Your king has conquered it. Now, don't, don't go become allies with the thing that's against your king. Why would you be allied with a thing that your king came to defeat? You agree that what he did is good. You agree that sin stinks. Then why are you sinning? You rotten sinners. Ungrateful. Right? What, how awful is our condition that we agree to all this and the next thing we do is go sin? What a wretched man I am. Who, we, who will free me from this body of death? The same king that you just left behind to go do what you wanted. 
Because this king loves with a love that you can't comprehend. This king loves with a love that does not demand from you something in order to earn it. This king loves with a love that defines who you are by his act of loving you. Right? And when you don't want to follow him to the cross, when you wander off and follow, follow your own devices into the land of the valley of the shadow of death, what does he do? He waits for you. He goes to the cross anyway, and then comes and gets you and brings you to the cross and brings you to the empty tomb and says, I did this for you. Right? But that never frees us from the call to follow him. This isn't an option. You don't get to go home this afternoon and say, well, all that Jesus stuff was nice, but I'm kind of too tired and I want to do what I want to do. No. You follow Him. That's what He says. And I promise you, you can come check with me later, I promise you if you follow Him, it is better than if you don't. It might stink, it might hurt, and you will die. But that is better than sin. That is better than than death. It is better than the power of the devil because in this one is resurrection. So anyone who dies in him will rise and live forever. And anyone who dies outside of him just dies. Yeah? So follow me, okay? That's what it's like. Follow me. That's his command. Number four, how does Philip describe Jesus? Yeah, but more than that, what what does Philip say in 45? This is the guy that the entire Old Testament was talking about. Remember we said, who are they looking forward to? They're looking for the Messiah, the new King David, the one that's going to save his people, the very Son of God, which is a term for prophets in the Old Testament, the very Son of God. Guess who Philip says this Jesus is? Him. This guy, Jesus, he's the one the entire Old Testament was writing about. When Moses said, after me will come one from your brothers will be greater than me, you should listen to him. Philip's saying... I found him. It's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. That's him. That's a confession. Yeah, Susan. How does he know this? No clue. (laughs) Holy Spirit. Well, probably, yeah. I mean, Holy Spirit at this point. Yeah, well, we don't know every single thing that's happened. I mean, this is just kind of a, you know, blow-by-blow summary. But yeah, I don't know. Holy Spirit. That's the point. How does anybody know all this? You're going to get to the point in the Gospel of John where you realize that nobody has any clue what's going on. The disciples don't get it. The twelve don't believe it. Do you realize that when Jesus dies, he dies without any followers? In the Gospel of John, John's there. Because, you know, John, he's awesome. But the other 11 disciples are literally not disciples anymore. Wouldn't you know all that stuff from the Old Testament? Yeah, so Philip is probably has heard things his whole life about the coming Messiah. 
he's starting to learn about Jesus and he's putting it together. He's like, hey, you're that guy. So yeah, the Jews all knew the Old Testament. They knew the promises. And Philip is just saying it's that guy, which is the Holy Spirit. Okay? We'll keep going. We'll see how he knows. So, number five. How has Philip learned from Jesus? Forty-six. He's a come and see, and Jesus said, "Come and see." Right. So now we have Philip repeating the words of Jesus. So in in verse thirty-nine, Jesus says, "Come and see." And then when Nathaniel starts having questions, what does Philip say? Philip's like, well, I went to seminary and I got a PhD and so I can explain it all to you because of this and that and the other thing. No, he goes, come and see. I'll show you Jesus. So he's already learned to be a disciple of Jesus. He's already learned to follow Jesus. He's already learned to speak like Jesus speaks. So Nathaniel has questions. Philip says, come and see. Then he brings him to Jesus, which is a great thing to do. Okay, and number six. How does Nathaniel, which is a fun way to spell Nathaniel, bring the patriarch Jacob to mind? That's a really weird question. I don't know how I was just going to say Jacob, but I don't know how else to write it. So, how do what is Nathan? This whole thing with Nathaniel. How is this an allusion to Jacob? You guys are all in Genesis, right? Good. You have at the very end the ascending and descending angel stuff, which is very much a reference to Jacob's ladder, right? Remember that in the Old Testament? Jacob has a vision of a ladder. Yeah. Sound familiar? Okay. So we have we have this illusion there. What else though? So in verse 47, when Nathanael comes to him, he says, truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now remember, in the Old Testament, Jacob, his name is changed to Israel. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And when Esau comes in from hunting... And Jacob has deceived their father and received the blessing. Esau says, or, or actually Isaac says to Esau, your brother came in and took the blessing by deceit. And it's the same Greek word there as it is here. And so what happens is Jacob becomes known as the deceiver. Israel the deceiver. Now we have an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Right? And so what's happening is Nathan, Nathaniel is seen as true Israel. This is the fulfillment of who Jacob was supposed to be. Which is really bizarre. You offend a lot of your Old Testament people. But, but it's all this language that's piled up is, is bringing to mind the, the patriarch Jacob and his failing to be honest. And now we have Nathaniel, who is going to be this true Israelite. Okay? Now, here's the where it gets even goofier. 
Nathaniel does not show up in the list of any disciples in the other Gospels. So Andrew and Peter and Philip are all part of the twelve. Nathaniel does not show up in the list of the twelve in any Gospel. So Nathaniel is probably not his name. It's probably a title. And what you have to understand is that it's either a title or a nickname. And Nathanael is actually, remember, Ael is always God. At the end of a Hebrew name, El is God, like Elohim. Okay? And Natan means to give. So this name actually means the gift of God. Okay, so Nathaniel is actually the name, Nathanael, is actually the name that means the gift of God, or one who is given by God. Okay, so, or God gives gifts, stuff like that. So this now is this guy, this gift of God guy, who is pictured as the fulfillment of Jacob, and where is he sitting? Under a fig tree. Okay, this is just this is just this is bonus and totally fun. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to minor prophets, just because it's fun. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah, not not Zephaniah, but Zechariah. Oh boy, I don't know what verse it is. I was getting in trouble with verses. It's not twenty, is it? It's ten. That's what I thought. Twenty didn't seem right. What's that? It's right before Malachi. So it's the second to last book of the Old Testament. Okay? 310. Zechariah 310. Zechariah 310. Okay, you want to read that for us? In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Okay, so sitting under your fig tree is actually a sign in the Old Testament of living in the promised land. If you can sit under your fig tree, that means you're not worried about your, na- your enemies. Right? If you can sit under your own fig tree, that means you're living in the place where you are supposed to be living. You're not in a foreign land. You're not fighting your enemies. You're not living in someone else's land. You're sitting on your own fig tree. Life is good, right? So, so this is basically equivalent of having a man cave. <clears throat> so, so Nathaniel was sitting in his man cave, and Jesus saw, you know, it's it, that kind of thing. And life is good too. Because it's big enough to sit under. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you got figs, and you and you got a shade tree, and, and life life is good. That's what this means. That's exactly right. The other thing that happens that are fig trees is you read scripture. Okay? And I'm assuming this is what you guys do in your man cave is you read scripture. Right? I hope. But this is, this is also the place where rabbis studied scripture. We're sitting under fig trees. So there's all these allusions in the story of Nathaniel coming to Jesus where he is he's Jacob, He's, he's this guy sitting under a fig tree, which is kind of this messianic blessing of the promised land being restored to Israel. 
and he's the gift of God. So you have all of these things, all these messianic, all this messianic language. Okay. So number seven. Oh, right. So most people think that Nathaniel is actually Bartholomew. Okay. So if you look at like uh, Matthew 10, Mark, what is it? Three and Luke six. I think it is where the list of disciples are. And those lists, he is Bartholomew. Now that's not true in the book of Acts, which is weird because that's also written by Luke. But, but in the in the Synoptic Gospels, there's there's a fairly good chance, and most scholars agree, that Nathaniel is actually Bartholomew. Okay, which would be the proper way to to name somebody because Bar in Bartholomew is Aramaic for son. So Bar Tholomew. So his dad's name is. Tholomew, which is a rough name. Really. Don't name your kids Tholomew. That's just weird. Do any of the other books describe this? No. no. So this is, this is unique. Okay. This is part of the uniqueness of the Gospel of John, these stories. The whole call of the disciples is unique in John. Totally unique. Not like any other, I mean, at all. You're like, mm, strange. Okay? I can't answer all those questions because I didn't write John. I don't know. Number seven, who is Jesus? Right, he's the Messiah. He's the one. Now, now, stick with me on this one. He's the God who spoke to the patriarchs. <coughs> Jesus is the Messiah and the Yahweh who spoke to the patriarchs. So think about it this way. When I called Jacob to be Israel, he ended up being a deceiver. But now, this guy walking toward me, he's truly the Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And what does the one, the, the true Israelite in whom there is no deceit, what does he call Jesus? What does he call him? He says... Rabbi, he's the teacher. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's agreeing with Philip that this is the Messiah. This is the one written about the Old Testament. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is our Savior. Okay? So this true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now he's on the list of people you can listen to. Right? Jesus says there's no deceit in him. So you can listen to him. And he tells you that Jesus is the King of Israel, the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Okay? Listen to him. Number eight. So whom did Jacob see in his vision? Jesus. Okay? So now we have, remember the prologue, we did this a little bit, but explicitly now we have Jacob... In his, in his vision of God, he's actually seeing Christ. He's seeing Jesus. He's seeing Jesus Christ in his vision. So it's called a theophany, which is when in the Old Testament God appears to somebody. But what, what John is going to do throughout his gospel is he's going to say that theophany of the Old Testament was actually a vision of Jesus. 
So what he's saying here, in, if you understand Veltzian terms on level three, is that all of the Old Testament theophanies are actually appearances of Christ. Okay? So, so the, the, the intent of the author, and we're going to see this as we go along, is to take all these Old Testament stories of people seeing God and say, when they saw Yahweh, they were seeing Jesus. So now when you look at Jesus, believe that you are seeing God. And there's one character in the entire book that gets it entirely right. Outside of Jesus. Who is it? He's the one that looks at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. Who's that? Thomas. Okay? He's also the one that walks up and says, I stubbornly refuse to believe any of this. And it's not until he hears the voice of Jesus and sees Jesus in the flesh and he confesses what the Spirit alone teaches him to say is that this crucified man in front of me who is alive again is Yahweh, my Lord, my God. And when Jesus does not refuse his worship but accepts it, Jesus is saying, you're right. That's who I am. Does that make sense? So that's what chapter 1 is getting us toward. It's bringing us into that entire story. Okay? Yeah, we got through a whole page. Which Did we do it? Yes. Really, Michelle had a page to finish. So that's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to do. So we'll do, we'll do chapter 2 next week. Um, I actually do invite you to please read through chapter 2. It's a crazy fun chapter. You guys know the story. But I think if you read it, having just heard all of that... You'll read a little differently now. No, it really wasn't. It was actually right on, so I did it. (laughs) Okay, let's pray so we can go to church. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. For he went to the cross to conquer all of our enemies. And he rose again on the third day to give to us a share in his victory over sin, death, and the devil. So that all of us who die in Christ might also rise with Christ. So every day, Lord, bring us to the cross. We might die to our sins and rise again as a new creation to serve you, to rejoice in your forgiveness, and to live lives of praise and thanksgiving to you by doing your will and loving our neighbors. So, Lord, keep us now in this one true faith. In Jesus' name. Thank you all.